0: Hi, I'm Max, and you're listening to the Alleviating Poverty Through Entrepreneurship podcast. This week, we went a little closer to home. We taught to Diraj Duganeni, an Ohio State medical student who started the Pure Water Access Project when he was an undergraduate here. There are a lot of organizations doing academic research on water access, and there are a lot of humanitarian groups providing water filters and similar devices, but there are very few groups that combine both, and that's what Pure Water Access Project does. And most remarkably, Pure Water Access Project was started by Diraj and his friends when they were still freshmen living in OSU's dorms. Now they're working in multiple countries and they're expanding by the day. We sat down with Diraj to talk about where he sees the group moving forward, as well as its interesting origins.
1: I took a freshman global health seminar um, uh, my, my first quarter at OSU, and I had this professor named Dr. Daniel Sedmik, and it was a fantastic class, and... Um, A lot of what we focused on was how much um, health was the epicenter of a lot of um, problems within developing communities, whether that, because if you think about it, the lack of education and the lack of resources are one thing, but health is also another. You're not going to be able to do work if you can't, if you're not feeling well, you can't go to class, you can't do these things. And I may be biased because I'm in medical school and I'm really into like medicine and everything. But. Um, I, I really do honestly believe that health can be the source of a lot of problems um, in developing communities not just um, from a medical standpoint but from an economic standpoint from a socioeconomic standpoint etc and so I kind of had this idea um, about doing things with water I thought it was a pretty feasible thing to do um, nothing too major that I couldn't tackle but something that I think could make a sufficient impact um, and the reason I Looked into a, a research-related organization um, or an organization that had its focus on research, um, is a lot of what I learned in this um, freshman health seminar. So one of the anecdotes that um, Dr. Semet gave me, what gave us in the class was, he does a lot of work with Doctors Without Border. He was in Ghana, or not Ghana, sorry, Haiti, um, doing some work, and they were giving out, um, you know, the gummy vitamin things that they have for kids. So he was giving those out um, as part of his stay there. I mean, that's good. Kids have like some sorts of vitamins now, um, and they're going to they're going to be able to have some of these necessary vitamins that they usually don't have in their diet. So he was giving them out, um, and then he was walking around one day and he saw like a kid with the whole bag of these things just eating them like candy. So the idea there is. We give these solutions, we give these things out, and in our mind, it works, right? In our mind, you're giving vitamins, you take vitamins daily, they're supposed to help you. In our mind, that logically makes sense. But these people have a completely different upbringing. It's this idea that, like, whatever solution we have to do needs to have some sort of sense of sustainability and understanding of the culture. And again, so that's why I went toward the research route. but none of that would have would have been possible if I hadn't like met some of these some of my friends in under, uh, in my freshman dorm. Um, there were just people I knew, people I respected, um, and I got a bunch of them together. And at first, it was just like meetings now and then, just kind of brainstorming. And I think during towards the end of my freshman year, it it's something that got serious. It was like we're not just doing this for like a student organization. We're not doing this because we want something on our resume. We're not doing this because we feel good about it. I mean, and those are all um, results, eventual results of it. But the reason we really did it was because we wanted to make an impact and we thought we could. I mean, and everyone has this notion that, oh, you're an undergrad. You can't like do these big projects. Oh, you're a freshman. The, n- the number of times me and my other um, co-founders heard that was ridiculous. And we wanted to make an impact. So the the simple way to do it was, to just start something and so um that summer summer 2010 we incorporated um as a nonprofit in the state of ohio and the rest is history we sent out a lot of calls we did a lot of groundwork and then in this past year things have really started to pick up but it was definitely an uphill battle it was definitely a lot of people that said we couldn't do it and i'm happy to have proven them wrong
0: As I mentioned in the introduction, water access isn't necessarily a new issue for humanitarian groups. I wanted to know what niche Pure Water Access Project filled. What about their research is vital for NGOs?
1: So number one, I think that research isn't done enough in the humanitarian world. Um, And the reason it's so important, I think, is because it allows you to see problems from a more logistical standpoint, right? So there's a lot of issues where we think something's psychological, like logical, right? Um, for instance, say you're going out shopping. You go and compare the prices of two things or you're always going to like look up stuff before you buy it, right? You're not going to, there's impulse buying obviously, but you're going to look things up. You're going to do some, some type of basic background research. And you do that with everything in your life, right? No matter what you do, no matter before you make a decision, you always want to get as much information about the decision as possible. So in the humanitarian world, why doesn't that, translate right so for instance what we do a lot of stuff is with water filters and people are like a water filter is a water filter why i mean if it's cheaper just go ahead and buy it but that's not always the case because you have so many different like um instances where certain water filters don't work in certain places or this technology doesn't work in this place and they're because of factors that you can't predict um and so doing research to look at which solutions work best in which places is, I think, paramount to making successful impact. Because then what you're doing is not only are you increasing the effectiveness of your said solution, you're also increasing cost efficiency, which at this point is huge. I mean, I mean, if we had all the money in the world, we could not solve every problem, but we'd make a lot more progress. But the, but the reality is that the humanitarian world doesn't have access to that much money. So it's important to make sure we're cost effective but also effective in the field. So effective with both our money and efficient on the field. So I think research plays a large part into how efficient and how cost effective you can be and what the right solutions are in certain places.
0: But if research is so beneficial, why aren't more NGOs adopting evidence-based practices? Um,
1: I think that's twofold. And I think a lot of the larger organizations that have much more of these capabilities can do it. Your charity waters, your water.org, Clinton Global Initiative, um, Gates Foundation, these big organizations that have a ton of money and ton of resources can do it. But if you look at a lot of the charity, like a lot of it's coming from um, these small time organizations. How many church organizations do you know of that do over, like, a broad work? What about local student organizations or um, a club, Rotaries? They don't have that much money, they don't have that many resources. So, how do you expect them to spend either, say, spend $2,000 doing research, or use that $2,000 to do um, a project, right? Buy, buy 200 filters with that money. So it's really about the, what, what resources do they, ha- do they have, and what do they think is most important. That being said, it's not like they don't do any research at all. I mean, I'm sure that like many of these organizations really do like a lot of online research and stuff like that before they choose an intervention. But doing research online and doing field testing is a completely different thing. One of our key central focuses and central ideas is that this idea of a global water crisis is actually a misnomer. It's actually a, an aggregation, a collection of local water crises that each have their own problem and require their own solutions. Because one solution isn't going to be like, there's no one all solution, right? Um, so these smaller organizations Sometimes they run into problems that they, they didn't expect, they didn't um, account for. And if you don't do the proper research beforehand, the longevity, the sustainability of that intervention isn't going to be that great. So I don't think that larger organizations don't do research. I think that much of this on the ground work done by smaller organizations lacks the research. And that's where we come in. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to partner with these smaller organizations, these local organizations, and really try to help make what they do last longer. And by getting that information from them, disseminating that research, that on the ground research, that's easy, that's aimed towards nonprofits. It's not aimed towards the educational scholar. It's aimed towards these nonprofits, these humanitarian organizations. By disseminating that information, we hope that we can provide them resources to do the research that they need.
0: I wanted to know what specific issues in water access Dharaj sought to tackle. What we look for is what we
1: call barriers, right? Um, something can work in a certain area, right? So uh, a ceramic filter can work great in a certain area, it, but there could be something else that works better or it's more cost efficient. I'm not saying the first one's a flaw, but it, there, there's always something better out there and our goal is to find that. So. Um, in reality, what we do is what are we, we do our research in two separate ways. One, um, we contract with existing water organizations. So we have a couple of partners right now. And what we do is we contract with them over either a period of time or a project. And we help form the uh, research and logistical support for that. So we'll create the surveys. We'll do water quality testing. We'll provide resources to do those things. And then we gather the data and then essentially look at it with no preconceptions we look at it to see what is the data showing us our for instance one of the things that we found in nicaragua was ceramic filters are hard in mountainous regions because you can't they the travel there transporting a ceramic filter from one area to another um they can break and especially when you're going through the mountains that's really hard and so how do you fix that so what we're looking for is barriers both geographic socioeconomic cultural um language barriers uh barriers between people. So we identify barriers, and we try to figure out ways to either incorporate that or educate the existing people on that, educate um, the people doing the work, or go around it, find solutions to these barriers that we can identify. And that's what we do. We don't find flaws in a system. Flaws, I think, has such a very negative connotation. Research is always supposed to help things. It's not supposed to, like, identify bad things we no what we're trying to do is identify things that exist things that are natural but incorporate that and identify those in order to make what we what we do and what everyone what everyone else in the water sector is doing more efficient
0: it seems like a lot of groups could stand to benefit from this sort of research so why isn't there more knowledge sharing between ngos
1: perhaps it's a, lot, a lack of interaction perhaps that when people think research they think so so much more in like the scholarly fashion that it like that you see in academic papers or stuff. Um, I, I, I honestly don't know. And that's part of the, one of the things that we want to do is um, really be able to find ways to get our information out there get, get a platform to make our uh, data available to other um, organizations that need it. Um, and not saying there, there's a lack of it. I mean, the number of conferences that you have that focus on these type of things. Um, for instance, there's the Unite, Unite for Sight uh, Global Health, conference that we're actually doing a pitch at, um, in April, there's, um, Clinton Global Initiative University. There's, there's a huge one in DC. I forget the name of it, but it's always pretty big. I mean, there's so many conferences and everything, but you have to understand that the population that goes to it are academics. A lot of them are academics and you, you're not going to have like, I mean, you potentially could, but you're not going to have like a local church group who just wants to kind of do a trip, um, to Ecuador for a bit. And, Really, like help the people there, you're not gonna find them at these conferences, right? So the idea is that some of this the more the organizations more in tune the large nonprofits that are more in tune with the academic world, I think have the capabilities and understand the importance of research. but I don't think these smaller organizations do, and reaching out to them I think is highly important because the work they do is highly important it's 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 crucial to like the progress that we've made over the past um, couple of years as far as water, as far as health and sanitation, it's crucial. But the outreach to them isn't there, I, in my opinion.
0: Dharaj is big on sustainability as a criteria for his projects, and I wanted to know exactly what that meant to him.
1: There's multiple ways to do it, and it really depends on the resources available to you. Um, a lot of it's based on our survey. The survey is crucial because... Uh, what we do is we do a baseline survey in the beginning before we give out anything um, and then we reevaluate using the survey. We administer the same survey with a couple of changes with questions at intervals throughout um, the, pro- the piloting process. And we look at what changes, right? If people um, say they're healthier, if diarrheal rates go down, if, um, if education goes up, if the time off work goes down, if um, the water quality, and so we also do water quality testing at the same time if water quality goes up. Those are how we kind of um, really look at if an intervention has worked. Whether that's sustainable or not is really sometimes hard to tell. I mean, if you're only piloting this for a couple of months or a year, you're not going to know if this works a couple of years down the line. But what you can identify with that initial um, piloting process is what are potential problems that may come up. And by identifying that, you're hoping to increase the sustainability. If, if you've identified it before you just like leave the area and you're like, oh, this is it, then you can kind of address those um, problems before they become big. Um, a, a, one of the things that the World Health Organization really recommends looking at is mother-to-child um, information sharing. So if you interview a child about the use of a filter, will they know how to use it? If they do, it's a really good indicator that... This filter has been integrated into the family unit, and then the mother um, has really took it upon herself to um, teach the child how to use it. Um, and one of the things that we stress is that you teach the mother how to do things. You give the filter to the mother. You give the woman responsibility. Not only wa- water is, I think, as much a women's empowerment issue as um, it is a health issue because uh, it it really gives the mother of the household. Um, It it puts her in charge of the health. And I think that's really important to do in some of these areas. Um, So yeah, there's multiple factors that you can look at as far as what increases, what markers increase sustainability. I think it's different in different areas. Um, But a lot of anecdotal evidence, a lot of survey evidence, water quality evidence, and um, just talking to the people, I think most of all, you really get a lot out of it.
0: Well, Pure Water Access Project hasn't been around long. They're already working in a pretty wide variety of countries, and I wanted to know how they made those connections. So our
1: initial one, uh, we were looking more in Central America because I think when we were first starting the project and looking into projects our sophomore year, that Central America seemed something that was a bit more viable to us logistically. I mean, um, we have a couple of Spanish speakers um, or people familiar enough with Spanish to be able to communicate. Um, and as far as money goes, going there physically is a little bit cheaper than say going to sub-Saharan Africa or uh, Southeast Asia or something like that. Um, and we we focused on a rural environment first because we thought that would be a little bit easier to cope with than a like an urban slum, which definitely is something on our to-do list. Is really ta- uh, look into the projects there, but it was really about which 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 part, uh, organizations we partnered up with. We were fortunate enough to uh, partner with Global Water um, out of California who introduced us to an organization in Nicaragua who introduced us to AMOS. Um, and so that's kind of how the first connection started. And from there, it's just we've been talking to people. Um, I actually met the, the, uh, a representative from Global Brigades at APTE last year, and that's how our Global Brigades project started. So it's really about who we meet. Um, and location matters less than the organization, for us at least, because we really rely on the organization on the ground to kind of be our eyes and ears, because they'll know, they know the organization, they know the people on the ground, they know the villages, they know the area much better than we can ever hope to. So we really rely on really strong partnerships with on-the-ground organizations.
0: Before long, our conversation inevitably turns to funding. How did a bunch of undergraduates get the money to start a project like this?
1: It's something that we still cope with today. um, Initially, it was a lot of money out of our pocket, uh, friends and family. We did the whole like email, all the friends and family that you know, ask them for money, pay out of your own pocket. And that plus um, partnering with Amos, who kind of absorbed some of the costs for the project. um, They absorbed the cost for the biosand portion of that project and we absorbed the cost for the filters. But the filters were then paid by another partner we were partnering with named, uh, called Global Brigades, or Global Water, sorry. Um, and so between that, we kind of put together enough funds from private donations and our own donations. Uh, but then again, that's not sustainable. So a lot of what we've done in the past year and a half is really looking to sustainable solutions for how we run our organization. Um, we want to minimize overhead. We can't have all of our money going to travel. We can't have all of our money going to buying filters that's just not who we are we're not we're student run I mean you know the college life it's ramen and coffee it's it, you're poor um, you, you don't have the money to do this and getting startup funds for a nonprofit is hard I mean who wants to there's not a lot of people who want to invest in something when they see no return um, and yeah you can hold sell the whole like oh you're doing good for the world but when you're a couple of undergrads scrounging for money that's hard um, and we tried the whole grant process. We, we applied for grants. We looked at grants. Um, we did all these other things, and that didn't work out. Um, again, because we were untested. We were undergraduates. So the first project was all out of our pocket. And then what we moved on to was reducing overhead costs by contracting. And that's something that um, I think made a major shift in our uh, mindset was um, this idea of contracting out to organizations. What do we do best? What can we do best? That's research. That That is our niche. So how do we relay that? How do we convey that to other people? It's by contracting with these organizations. That reduces our overhead costs, right? Because we don't have to physically be there, but we can still make an impact. We can still do the research. We can still provide support. Um, but we're still in the United States, so that reduces all travel costs. And sometimes, and actually most of the time, um, and what we envision moving forward is that we're not going to be in charge of buying the filters. That's that's part, That's the responsibility of the nonprofit that we are working with because that's what they're doing. Um, and then the contract portion of that, we get uh, small reimbursements for our services. And that money goes back into our, our pot of money that we can use when we want to go on these trips, when we want to travel. Um, so that kind of creates a sustainable solution as far as how we, keep revenue, but, but still do projects. Um, We also got a large donation from um, Battelle. Uh, We got a $20,000 matching grant from Battelle. Um, And I will give that plug to Battelle and also to Mr. Alex Chadoff, who um, is one of our co-founders and he did a fantastic job working with them really trying to partner with them. And he came up with this um, awesome idea of um, this education program where we in students to help run our nonprofit and we do a two-year rotating fellowship. So we're always run by students and the students will always be trained by the previous class of um, students. And he also um, envisioned this uh, high school outreach program that we're doing at Metro High School and um, another high school, uh, St. Ignatius in um, Cleveland. And so that kind of gives us this really educational portion which is also very marketable bringing in money and it also kind of goes along with our other um vision of really bringing students into this world of research um, and nonprofit and public service
0: the group has also been able to raise money through its own fundraisers as well as grants from osu's wexer medical center and the clinton global initiative
1: we've gotten all these donations um in the past year because we were able to kind of prove ourselves initially but the initial Proving ourselves required a lot of like out-of-pocket money. And moving forward, um, one of our big things is, again, a, a theme. If you can if you find a theme within our organization, it's sustainability in every possible way. Um, and we're trying to, I think, with the contracting, outreach, um, and advocacy headed up by Shuro's uh, department, um, our education, um, these continuing partnerships with on-the-ground organizations and organizations that... We can um that sponsor us, like Patel or Limited or uh, the Western Medical Center. I think with all those, we we have a good model of sustainability that we're still trying to refine. But we we're bringing in enough money that I think we're a lot more comfortable than we were uh, when we first started and had to dig deep in our pockets to bring out money.
0: Also, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Diraj's ties to our own group, to whom he spoke last year. I mean,
1: I, I was fortunate enough to speak at and here's my plug for APTE I was fortunate enough to speak there last year um, and backstage I met with Saul Garlick and uh, Steve Atemian who honestly kind of really just a one hour backstage meeting with them changed uh, honestly changed a lot of how I viewed um, my organization a lot of how we could take steps to further um, increase our impact um, and it really changed the course of our organization as a whole to be very honest
0: as always we close with a personal question what advice did diraj have for other young social entrepreneurs my number one thing is i think you
1: need passion i think um you can always learn more things you can always meet new people you can always do put more work in but if you don't have the passion then you just can't sustain that i've met um not a lot but a decent number of people i've met when they talk about their nonprofit where they talk about what they do, or they talk about their social enterprise, they do it in a way that doesn't convey passion for the, the impact that they're making, but more for like the idea of this, them developing a social entrepreneurship or nonprofit. You really have to have a passion for what you're doing and why you're doing it. And I think that's, again, a theme of sustainability. That's what's going to sustain you and your organization in the long run, is not just your passion, but being able to make other people passionate about it. And I think in the, pa- in, in the past year, that's one thing that we've kind of rediscovered is our passion for what we're doing. Would I be upset if in a year that the Pure Water Access Project failed and like whatever, a crash and burn? Yes, I'd be devastated. But I would still be happy in the sense that we were able to impact a couple of hundred people. I would still be happy knowing that I made other people passionate about this as well. Um, and I think, again, that's that's irreplaceable. You, it can't be learned. It can't be like acquired or something like that. Passion is innate. And if you don't have it, then I don't think you should be doing what you're doing. If you don't have a passion for helping people, if you don't have a passion for whatever your cause is, I think that's the underlying theme that i see in a lot of people is the people that are the most successful are the most passionate and i've met some wildly successful people more successful than i can ever hope to be in my life and the one thing that stands out with them even in like 5 minute conversations is just how wildly passionate they are their face lights up when they talk about their cause they're they they start speaking a lot faster and it's it's infective you you feel that passion too and if you ever want to be a leader, if you ever want to work in a nonprofit, if you ever want to do social entrepreneurship, I passion I think is the number one thing.
0: You can find out more about the group, as well as how to get involved, at PureWateraccessproject.org. Until next time, I'm Max Maurerman, and we are alleviating poverty through entrepreneurship.